All right, you guys, I'm going to look at God's power for the powerless this morning. I'm going to look at it out of the text of 1 Kings 17. This is the first time the prophet Elijah is ever mentioned. We're going to get to that in just a moment. Before I look at that story with you, I'm going to tell you another story with a kind of lived parable. Uh, Jesus taught what were called parables, which were kind of living stories. And he would tell these living stories to help people enter into, in an embodied way, the teaching of the gospel, the teaching of Jesus. Well, sometimes what he does in our lives is he introduces us into parables, and we actually lived a parable as a family this summer, which I'm going to relate to you this morning, which really teaches God's power for the powerless. Now, I need to just give a caveat. I'm nervous. Here's why I'm nervous. Oh, yeah. I have to tell this story with Catherine here. Now, see, preachers and politicians have a problem with those so-called fact-checkers, right? It's a problem, because the preacher leaves the story better than the way he or she found it, amen? But Catherine is one of those capital T truth people. Um, So thanks be to God, I've got the mic, she doesn't. <laughs> but she's in the kiva. I'm in the bottom of the kiva. How's that work for preachers, man? They're all, all above me, staring down at me. It's like a Coliseum for crying out loud. Kevin grew up in Brazil as a missionary kid, had the joy of really being culturated uh, through her parents, just immersed in Brazilian culture. And so she really kind of rolls Brazilian first and American uh, second in so many ways, culturally speaking. So we were given the gift by the diocese and by Church of the Res of a two and a half month sabbatical that we were able to take in Brazil this summer. So we went, we went family, we traveled all around uh, that unbelievably marvelous. Do we have any Brazilians here this morning? You're not doing so well, man. <laughs> Come on, there's 50,000 Brazilians in Chicago. We have two in Brazil, it's pathetic. Okay, so anyway. We got to be in Brazil, we got to travel through that country and, and experience the joy of the Brazilian people, which is a very, very sweet thing itself. So, as part of our sabbatical, we spent a month in the north of Brazil where really beautiful beaches exist. And we were in a beach town, we basically spent a month in a beach town there. And so we had a very simple day where we got up. We usually just slept in our bathing suits, why not, right? <laughs> Walked out to the beach, spent the entire day there till the sun set at about 5 p.m. early. Stayed even longer than everyone else because we're Americans and we didn't follow the cultural mores. And then went back for dinner, slept, repeat, day in and day out. Now in the Brazilian beaches, there's kind of an interesting culture whereby entrepreneurs will sort of gain like a swath of beach. They'll kind of have like this part of the beach and they'll put your umbrellas out, they'll cook your fish for you at lunch. They become friends, which is the Brazilian way. And we made friends with kind of a beach manager of a certain swath. His name was Edgy. We got to know each other and with my horrible Portuguese and his horrible English, we figured out that we both knew Jesus and formed a friendship around Jesus as well. And he would prepare things for us every day, and we would pay him at the end of the day for his work for us. It was a really neat relationship. I'll come back to Edgy in just a moment. One day we thought, let's go to a different beach. So we got two cars. Uh, our whole family was there. And we really took our way out to a different beach. As we were going, we noticed that there were police cars across the road, and not an unusual thing in Brazil to hit a checkpoint. So we hit a checkpoint, and had to stop. The police officer went to Catherine's car, and then went to my car. Now, I don't speak very good Portuguese. But I figured out that he was very upset with me because I was wearing flip-flops 
and apparently it's against the law, federal law, to wear flip-flops. <laughs> then I was told that my five-and-a-half-year-old was not in a car seat, and apparently it's against the law to not have a five-year-old in a car seat. As a matter of fact, he said, this is so serious, this is going to cost you 500 AIs, about $275 at the time. So Kelly comes back to my car, and we're talking about it, and I say to her, thinking like an American, frankly like an American priest who when he gets stopped in Chicago and has a collar on, often has a, please officer say, go ahead. Um, <laughs> I said, tell him that we didn't know. To tell him that we don't know these laws. See if we can negotiate. So Kevin goes back to the officer, she negotiates with him, and he says, when she's negotiating, oh, she wants to make a deal. She's going to bribe me, which I'd be more than happy to receive. So he says, absolutely, here's what we can do. A hundred AIs in cash right now, that'll cover my lunch and my friend's lunch. I mean, that would cover 15 lunches. I'll cover my friend and my, my lunch, and we'll just forget to take it all together. God goes, oh my word, I've just been sucked into a bribe. She goes back to the car and says, he wants us to bribe him. hundred AIs, and it all goes away. And I went, that's attractive. 500 AIs ticket on a budget, six kids in Brazil. That's 400 AIs. I was quick. And my 16 year old son is sitting right next to me. And he looks at me and he says, Dad, don't do this. Just take the ticket. So he actually awakened me. And I went, Kathy, let's not do this. Um, Elsa's right. Let's not do this. She goes back. Well, at this point, she's committed, according to the officer, and he says, as a federal policeman, they have a lot of power, and they're very corrupt. He goes, no, 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 we've made a deal. We're in this together now. Just give me out of the house. Catherine, understandably, because she's been manipulated, and I was one encourager, gives 100 AIs to him. She goes back and explains what happened, and my son literally takes his head and puts it in his hands. She gets in the car, I get in the car, we're driving to the beach, and I am miserable. And I am struck yet again with how easy it is for me to sin. I didn't want to pay the extra money, so I sinned by greed. I wanted it out of a complicated situation, so I, I sinned by sloth. I didn't care the fact that hundreds of Brazilians every day are caught up in this corrupt system. So I sin by stepping into powers and principalities of corruption that break the back of the poor throughout Brazil. And I was miserable. And I couldn't believe I did it. And I did it in front of my 16-year-old son to whom I'm trying to be a role model. And he watched us do it. He saw my heart. He was one to convince me. So we're driving, and I say to the Lord, I repent. I repent to the children. I repent to Catherine. What can we do? So we get to the beach, we gather the kids, Catherine and I both just say, we just sin. It's just nothing but sin. We are ashamed, we're embarrassed, we repent before you. Then I'd ask the Lord, not as a kind of merit, penance or something, but I said, I want to do something in light of this stupid sin. Would you give me something to do, not to earn your favor, I know you forgive me, just to kind of in a body way, act out of what I, act away from what I just did. And the Lord said, yeah, that 500 AIs was so incredibly important to you, Take another 500 AIs and give it away. Just give it away to a kingdom that I'll, project that I will show you. I said to the kids, okay, here's the deal. We messed up, we sinned, now we're gonna step into a kingdom adventure 
We're going to look for rebellions to get 500 AIs. And it became such a joy. Where was the Lord going to lead us to get 500 AIs for? Back to Edgy. We go back to the beast the next day. Edgy isn't there. We find out that the axle on his a food cart broke. He couldn't get off the beach. And corruption again. They penalize these guys enormous amounts of money for not getting their, their thing off the beach. And then he couldn't earn every day because he couldn't get back onto the beach. So the subsistence level earner lost the income for his entire family. And we all went, this is it. This is the 500 AIs Kingdom Project. Let's give it to Senior Edgy. We know him. We have a relationship with him. This is going to be a partnership type of thing. This is perfect, but we can't find him. Nobody has his mobile phone. We're asking all over the beach. It's a small town. We're looking for him. Every time we go out into the town, where's Edgy? Is Edgy here? There is no way to contact him. We get to the last day of our stay. We're getting ready to leave Brazil for the U.S. And I wake up in the morning, and it's one of those experiences with God. And if you're new to a relationship with God, sometimes it's almost like, like your heart beats fast. Like, I woke up. Heart beating faster, and I felt God sort of pressing on me, find Edgy. You've got to find Edgy. You've got to follow through on this. You can't leave this city without finding Edgy. I said, Catherine, I am compelled, hon. We've got to find Edgy. So we're driving through town, and my oldest daughter sees a sign that has the symbol of, of, of like a, I can't remember, it was a fish or something. It was the same symbol Edgy wore in his t-shirt every day. She says, stop! That's Edgy's t-shirt! <laughs> so Kevin gets out She said he's not there But they say yeah we think we, we think we know somebody who knows him So we get a mobile phone We call this person They give us the number We call it his phone number Nobody answers And I said Kevin Just Just call again She calls again And Hello And Kevin says You know what Angie We haven't seen you for two weeks We've missed you We want to see you before we go We want to say goodbye And we just have a little gift We want to give you Thank you. I can be over. I'll meet you at the gas station where you are right now. I'll be there in 10 minutes. She pulls up. We go over to look at the table, just Senior Edgy and Catherine and me. And Catherine says, um, Senior, we, we just want to give you just a, a small financial gift. God is impressed on our hearts to give you a small financial gift. Now he puts his head in his hands. And he starts to cry. And he said, We are destitute. He has no idea how much we're going to give him, by the way. Just, we are destitute. My wife been unemployed for a year. I was the only income. We literally don't know how we're going to eat in a week. And last night, I was in prayer. I was crying out to God, you've got to help me, help my family. And I literally had a vision. I felt like the Lord was present to me in this kind of waking dream kind of thing. And Jesus said, I'm sending someone. I'm sending someone. Hold on, Edgy. They're going to come. But I never imagined it would be an American family. <laughs> I never imagined it would be you. Well, while I was telling this story, I'm, Kevin's translating while it's going on, I'm so struck. I reached into my wallet, and I think about 150 guys, and we've got to get more. And we're doing the end of our trip. We're, we're watching our dollars as, as the end. I put up 150 guys, so it's not 650. And then Kathy says, let's give her more. She hadn't seen me do that. I said, I already did 150 AI. She's like, more. <laughs> the more is all. I mean, the more is really like, you know, go for it like this. Let's do it. Let's give it all. Let's just give it all. I put another 150 AI in there. At this point, we're at 900 AIs, or whatever it is, 800 AIs, which is about what a, a worker earns a month in Brazil. He still has no idea how much we're giving him. We just put it together. We hand it to him. And he says, tomorrow night, I'm going to my church. We're having a prayer meeting. And I'm going to give testimony to the power of God. 
Amen? Amen. It was a living parable. You see how God's power can edge you in his financial powerlessness? His socioeconomic, systemic powerlessness. You see how God came to me in my sinful nature, powerlessness. How he met both of us in our weakest points and thereby displayed his power in a living, breathing reality. That my children can bear testimony to, that I can now share testimony with you, the people of God. Because God's power is for the powerless. Amen. As we see in the book of Elijah. Okay, Elijah has just been introduced to us. Go to your text in 1 Kings 17. He's just been introduced. And we already see him displaying power. He displays power when he calls out a drought to fall upon Israel. Why? Because the king of Israel has already rebelled against the living God. The king of Israel is already setting up idols of sexuality and calling people to bond with these idols and bond with one another in sexual immorality rather than bond with the living God. And Elijah has said, when you bond with something other than the living God, with your body, with your heart, with your mind, you create a spiritual drought. To clarify that, now there will be a physical drought upon Israel. We will hunger and we will thirst because God is your food. God is your living water. The word of God is what will feed you. And so a drought has come upon all of them, including Elijah. It starts with the display of the power of God. Then Elijah ends up dependent on God and the ravens come and feed him. Okay, here we see that God's power is for the powerless. Sub-point under that, an important point, is that God displays his power for those who are dependent upon him. High displays of God's power spring from high dependency on God's power. High displays of God's power springs from high dependency on God's power. We see it in Elijah. For brothers and sisters, let's be really clear. The bedrock of this story in the Hebrew scriptures, in the teaching we get, in the New Testament scriptures of the cross of Jesus Christ. Look for the cross here. For that's the teaching of this ultimately, is the weakness of Jesus, which displays the power of God. Two questions for you. We look at this text. Where are you a widow? We look at a widow of Zarephath. My question for you is, where are you a widow? She's an icon in this culture of powerlessness. Where are you powerless? Where are you powerless under your sinful nature? Where are you powerless financially? Where are you powerless relationally? Where are you powerless in terms of your drives, compulsions, hungers? Where are you powerless? In terms of your faith, where doubt seems to have greater influence than belief. Where are you a widow? That's a question I would like you to work through. That's, that's your work. And two, how will you be sustained by God's word? The word of the Lord comes to Elijah, verse 8. So here we see that this, this, this passage begins with the word of the Lord coming. The word of the Lord is catalytic. The word of the Lord is consoling. The word of the Lord is substantial. The word of the Lord is living and active, sharp. The word of the Lord catalyzes Elijah to move from where he's being fed by the ravens to go somewhere else because the drought is so great. And he says, arise, 
So often the word of God comes to us and it says arise. It says move. It says go into. It says trust. The word of God catalyzes arising. It catalyzes life in us. It's living. It's active, as writer of Hebrews says. The word of God comes to Elijah. Arise, go to Zarephath, back corner, destitute place, which belongs to Sidon, outside of the kind of the, the proper boundary of the people of Israel, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. It's important that you back up for a moment and understand the absurdity of that statement. Stuart, you're hungry. Therefore, I have commanded an infant to feed you. No, I feed infants. Lord, infants don't feed me. That's impossible. They can't feed you. Infants can't feed you. They can't make a meal. They, they can't go to the bushes. Where it's ridiculous. As with a widow. In that socioeconomic system, the widow was at the very, very bottom rung of powerlessness. Very little earning power, if any whatsoever. Very little protection on their own. It's as if God chose the most desperate person to say to Elijah, go to a widow, she's going to feed you. He's already starving, he's already depending on ravens, but that wasn't hard enough. <laughs> now God says, no, not to me to the widows. At least the ravens can fly. But not so a widow. So he arose. Praise God. He obeyed the word of God. <coughs> Obedience to the word of God will catalyze the display of God's power in and through your life. And why be Christians if we cannot live in a display and a witness of God's power? He obeys the word of God. He rises. He goes. He sees the widow. He asks her for a little water and a vessel that I may drink. A little morsel of bread. And then she says there in verse 12, I have nothing. I have nothing. Elijah is starving. And the widow is starving. Any of us would be in high panic at this point. High anxiety. There's literally no way to get food. There's no way for me to get money. Now my family has money. No one I know has money. My church doesn't have money. This is where we learn the beautiful nature of God arithmetic. Kingdom calculus. Nothing plus nothing, plus the power of God equals everything. Don't look down on that, it's too simple. It's really important. I teach it simply so that when you're in this moment, and you guys are looking at your financial accounts, and you got hit by something you didn't think was coming, or the report from the doctor is actually going the wrong way from what you'd hoped, I hope you remember in that moment the calculus of the kingdom of God. That nothing plus nothing plus the power, the presence, the person of God equals everything. But it says, I have nothing. Verse 14, 12. Eliza says to her, do not fear. What a pastor. How amazing that he in that moment, what time must have spent with God? In that moment of the greatest fear to be able to say, do, do not fear. 
I've actually learned the confidence of the kingdom of God. So when God's calling you into a place of nothing, it's that not only might he provide for you, but that you may learn the calculus of the kingdom of God so that when you're in that equation with someone else, nothing plus nothing, you can actually say, do not fear. I've got thousands of pages that bear testimony to the calculus of the kingdom of God. I've immersed myself in stories of the people of God through the centuries. I've lived the kingdom of God. Do not fear. Go and do as you said. But first make me a little cake and bring it. Make something for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord, the word of God, the jar of flour shall not be spent, the jug of oil shall not be empty, until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. And she went and did as Elijah said. One obedience begets another obedience. People of God, when you obey the Lord, you're having an autonomous action for yourself. You actually have a supernatural influence on the rest of the people of God. In the same way that one disobedience can influence another disobedience, we see this throughout the scriptures in the book of Joshua over and over again if you're familiar with the book of Joshua. If not, it's a phenomenal read. But obedience begets obedience. Submission to the word of God begets submission to the word of God. It moves like leaven through a loaf, like yeast through a loaf. Like dandelions through our yards in April, right? It multiplies. So when you obey the word of God, then you actually create a culture of submission to the word of God throughout the community of God here. And vice versa. So we should be motivated by that and sobered by that. His obedience begets and how she obeys. And now we have a culture of obedience. A culture of weakness. A culture of high dependency on God. That thereby there may be high display of the power of God. And that's coming. For the widow now displays and sees through God the supernatural power of God. She does as Elijah said. And the jar of flour was not spent. The jug of oil did not become empty, according to the word of the Lord. Verse 16. Let's be clear as widows, we will face nothingness over and over again. If you allow God to design your life and give that authority, He will move your life towards seasons of nothingness, emotionally, financially, even perhaps relationally. And you will wonder, has God cursed me? No, actually, in the life of the cross of Jesus Christ, who Himself went through this kind of weakness and nothingness, he's blessing you. This is how God blesses. Now, not to torment you, but to display his love for you, his power for you, in an embodied way that gets into your person. We're all supernaturalists. So as widows, we are all dependent supernaturalists. Just to be really clear, we're going to say the creed in just a few moments here. We believe that God became man. You're out of your mind. And if you believe that, I'm not saying everyone here does believe that, but if you have come to believe that God became human, you've just upended nearly every law of rationality and logic. But then you get crazier. Then you believe that the God-man was executed on an instrument of torture. 
So you believe that the Son of God, fully God himself, died. Then if you weren't now into full, complete looniness, you then believe that he was raised from the dead. You've got a chalkboard saying he is risen. <laughs> so for a moment, you kind of like, man, that, that story about that is just a little out there. I mean, he had a vision and money was provided for him. Is that kind of a prosperity theology? No, 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 no. That's nothing. That's child's play. That's kindergarten compared to the fact that you believe that Jesus Christ was risen from the dead. Amen. You were all sold out supernaturalists. But the equivalent of Christianity. You need to go all the way in or run all the way out. Do not find the middle ground. There's no lukewarm place. There's no lukewarm place in Christianity. It just doesn't exist. It will torment you if you stay there in the lukewarm place. It will make you nuts following Jesus. He says, come all in. He says, I rose from the dead. And he says, do you believe it or do you not? Do you assent to it or do you not? Do you obey it or do you not? We are supernaturalists. That widow was all in. She did as Elijah said. And the jar of flour never went empty. Okay, here's what I believe. But there was some kind of jar. There was some kind of pottery. And she kept going to it and it never got empty. I believe that. It never got empty. Where are you, a widow? Where is there nothing? And now, how will you sustain that nothingness by the word of God? You can't do nothingness with nothing. You have to do nothingness with the something, the word of God. This is not simply a writing which can deeply and profoundly intellectually connect with you, which it can do at every level. You're in a bond with the word of God. This reality is alive and living. It's the word from Jesus. Jesus is the word himself. So my call to you would be, if you want to step into widow living and kingdom calculus, then you must do so with the word of God. I can't send you out there without this. And you'll say, why did you do this to me? I was abandoned and desolate. No, 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 not with the word of God. Which is to say, you need to bond with the word of God. You need to ask God for a refreshed love for the word of God. If some of you are in a place where you're having a hard time reading the word of God, and studying the word of God. The Lord will have mercy on you. He knows your journey. Petition him for his aid and his help. That you may again know and you can trust the word of God. Others can teach you about the word. You have an outstanding Bible teacher, Father Aaron, and other teachers here. It's an incredible gift. But don't you get lazy? <laughs> oh, we had a great Bible teacher for a pastor. I'm good to go. No, you're not. No, you're not. You can podcast Tim Keller all day long. <laughs> you got to own the word of God for your own life. That's really important, by the way, people of God. you got to learn the word. you got to study the word. you got to teach it to your kids. It's your bonding. I can't bond with the word of God for you. It can't happen. According to the word of God, from the word of God, it's throughout this teaching. I don't know why I keep these notes. I never look at them. Dietrich <laughs> right. Bonhoeffer, mid-century German theologian, kind of best of the class, one of the best sort of Christian thinkers we've had in a long, long time. Biblical scholar, studied under Karl Barth, etc. Here's a little about Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He still loved the Bible. Oh, he knew the Bible, and he knew it in several languages, and he was incredibly erudite, incredibly gifted. He loved the Bible. He believed in the Bible. He believed the Bible provided a meta-narrative. He believed the Bible had all kinds of profound archaeological and, 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 and literary realities to it. But he believed in the opening of the Word of God, that God was speaking to him through the Bible. So he's escaped out of encroaching Nazi Germany, 
late 30s. He goes to Harlem, where he's involved with the African-American church there and being profoundly revitalized in his life in God for the African-American church in Harlem, New York. But he opens up the Word of God as he did every morning. He reads the Bible, and a scripture verse pops off the page, and he feels like God is saying to him, go back to Nazi Germany. Go back to your family. Go back to peril. Go back to life in martyrdom. Go back. All because of the Word of God. The Word of God catalyzes. And Bonhoeffer obeyed because he still believed that Jesus spoke to him through the Word of God. He gets on a ship. He returns to Nazi Germany. Many of you know the story. It's a matter of months where he's hung by a piano string. Days. Days. For the Allied victory. So I'm not saying that the way nothing plus nothing equals God's power always works out that the 500 AI survives. I'm not saying that. What I am saying is that Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who made himself nothing, displayed the power of God in a martyrdom, a red martyrdom that many of us will never face. And he met the presence of God. We know that from the promise of Scripture. He witnessed his trust in Jesus to the entire globe and his story is still being told some 80 years later. What I'm saying is that God will lead you into his presence. He will lead you into his power. However he chooses to manifest that, there is an abandonment and there is a risk and there is a level of kingdom insanity required of Christians. But only a supernaturalist can go to his death as Jesus Bonhoeffer did, knowing the word of God held him to that place. So very, very clear application. Bible before breakfast or Bible before bed. I don't know if you're a morning person or a night owl. <laughs> Bible before breakfast, Bible before bed. You miss a day, don't beat yourself up, just do it the next day. Alright? It's really important. Bible before breakfast, Bible before bed. Sometimes you may need to do both in a season of nothingness. To feast on the Word of God. You're having a hard time with the Word of God. I had years like that. My heart breaks if you're there. Get prayer for it. Be transparent about it. Don't hide it. Don't be ashamed of it. Get it out of light with a prayer partner, somebody you trust in a small group, pastoral leader here. Where are you a widow? How are you sustained by the Word of God, which ministers to us? He who made himself weak, Jesus Christ, on the cross. That we might be strong and display God's power. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.